June is Audiobook Month. Join Viviana, the Enchantress of Books, and the Audiobook Lovin' series as she celebrates the authors and narrators who bring your favorite stories to life. Not only will this month be packed with exciting guest podcasts full of all things books, but stick around after each episode for some special information about this year's giveaway and more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 9, Episode 21 of this year's Audiobook Loving Series. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with actor, screenwriter, director, author, and narrator, Jonathan McLean. How are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm good, Viviana. How are you? Doing good. Did I get all the job descriptions correctly? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. Mush. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a multi-hyphenate, so yeah. for sure. Uh, but I think you covered everything. Perfect. Yay. Now, as, as someone that uh, straddles several different roles in the industry, I feel you and I'm like, yes, I'm not the only one. Because uh, yeah. it's daunting sometimes. You're like, you're here as who right now? I'm like, mm, I'm just here as me. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so let's start with telling us a little bit about yourself, how long, you know, how long you've been doing all of this awesome stuff and um, how you guys started. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I grew up in South Carolina, kind of knew that I wanted to be an actor from a pretty early age. So uh, I went to a performing arts high school and then I actually started my career off in Chicago doing theater. And I sort of figured out that I wanted to write when I was doing that because I wrote a one person show and then that moved to New York, went off Broadway. And then I was doing theater in New York for years. And then I got on some TV shows. So I wound up in LA and, and then about 10 years ago, I finished uh, a series that I was on that I was, you know, the lead on, which was, which, which is wild, right? Like that's a fairly high mountain to climb and that's a, it's not an easy thing to achieve. And uh, it happened to, a little later than I was anticipating, but it, that had happened at all is kind of a miracle. And um, it was interesting. I've talked about this a lot and it, it's it's like you climb this really high mountain and I got I got to the top at least. And I looked around, and I was like, huh, okay. Well, that's not the view I was expecting. <laughs> um, and, uh, and not to say that I wasn't grateful or, or, or felt deeply privileged because I was and I did, but but I just, I don't know. It just felt like, look, when you are an actor, you are at the end of the day ultimately still responding to other people's demands, right? There are, especially when you wind up in television, which is extremely corporate, you are the employee of a major corporation. And so I sort of came away from that experience feeling a little like, oh, I wish I... I miss the days when I had control of everything. You know, when I was a kid, I was 21 and I did a one man show and it was just me and it was being scrappy and I had control of everything. And it was around that time that I met somebody who was doing audiobooks. A really wonderful actor named Mark Deacons, who actually narrated a ton of books, but I think the thing he is most well known for is maybe the Maze Runner series. And I said, Well, how do you get into that? Uh, that's something that I would like to do, it feels like. And he made some introductions for me, and I met some people at Random House, and um, finally got a chance to narrate some um, Jack Reacher novels. Because back in 2012, when Amazon acquired Audible, they wanted to retroactively put every book ever written on audio. And um, Jack Reacher has a narrator, wonderful guy, his name is Dick Hill, but Dick had sort of 
gotten older, as the character of Reacher had gotten older, and these were three early books, and they felt like Dick's voice was maybe a little old at this point in 2012, and so they went looking for someone to do the younger Reacher voice, and they said, would you do it? And I said, sure, and I did those. And, and it was great, and I fell in love with it, and that was sort of how I wound up getting into audiobook narration. And now, 10 years later, or 10 and a half, I think I'm about to narrate my 200th or something. And and then, you know, to this point of multi-hyphenate, um, I finally, about five, six years ago, found this really interesting way of combining all of these things in one place, which was I narrated a series of romance novels by a, as I, as I call her on my website, a titan of the romance novel <laughs> industry. And she is named Julia Huss. J.A. Huss is her, you know, writer name. I was really struck by how interesting and heartfelt and good they were. And I happened to know some people, uh, some studios in Hollywood. And so I said, listen, I, I, and I'd written some stuff for TV as well, continuing my writing endeavors. And I'd sold a couple of TV shows. And I said, you know, I think that I might have access to some really cool material to turn into a TV series. And I asked Julie directly, uh, would you feel comfortable taking this on? And she was like, yeah, sure. And so we got her stuff set up as a TV show, and then um, we did not ultimately wind up getting it on the air, but through the process, we became friends. And then she said to me, and this is the last, I, maybe we didn't say this in the intro, the last part of my multi-hyphenate is that I'm also a best-selling romance novelist. And that happened because of these romance novels I narrated, got set up as a TV show, and then Julie said to me, I love the way that you you know, worked with my material. Do you want to write romance novels together? And I was like, um, yes, why not? Apparently I say yes to everything. So uh, <laughs> let's do this too. Let's just add this to the list. And five, five years later, yeah, yep. five years and change later, we've published, well, we've published it. We're, we have two more at the moment that you and I are recording this conversation. Mm -hmm. We have two more coming out in the next three weeks, right before we, attend book bonanza together which is colleen hoover's big book convention in texas and we're going to be launching a new one at that convention and yeah and so that's i mean that is the sort of most bullet pointy version of how it is <laughs> that i came to do the things i do and and what i'm doing right now yeah it's it's a long history there of uh work and skill sets that have been acquired throughout the years that has really been, I think, instrumental to getting you where you are now. I mean, because a lot of times when it comes down to the narration, a lot of folks think, oh, you just have to have a good sounding, a.k.a. hot voice. And there's just so much more to it, regardless of the genre. Right. It just, it, people tell oh, me it yeah. sound good is what people always say. I've, I've, people have told me I have a good voice. I'm like, yeah, but can you act? <laughs> yeah, I think. It, yeah. I, look, I mean, there are certain romance um fantasy sci-fi some of these genre genres like when i'm there look if i'm narrating a, a book for i just narrated a um a mystery novel for random house by this wonderful writer called linwood barkley and i've done a couple of his he's a new york times bestseller and that one really is about you know quality and performance quality and everything that you and i are talking about i do think that when you talk about genre it helps i mean if you're a wonderful actor but you have a lisp or something maybe romance isn't the thing that's going to be your specialty right like i think it's about figuring out where the combination of natural talents and gifts allied 
with the skill set that I think is important. And 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, I I will say I mentioned those Jack Reacher books. If I could go back and do them over now, I would I would do it in a heartbeat because I've learned so much about, you know, like anybody, I suppose, who does a creative endeavor. You look back at your early work and you think, God damn it, I wish I had that one back again. You know, so so I, I'm at a point now that where I definitely feel like, OK, I have my footing underneath me. I kind of know what I'm doing and and I. You know, I'm grateful that I've been able to work in a variety of different genres in audiobook narration, too, because I feel like a lot of times people do get pigeonholed. So I'm really grateful that that I still have the opportunity to do a variety of different kinds of different kinds of novels because because, you know, I didn't get into this industry because I wanted to do, to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that you know, being able to do romance and then bounce into something else and then bounce back and forth keeps me excited about it. Because I'm sure like anything, there's probably burnout. I mean, you've interviewed people who are real mighty. I mean, I know Scott Brick, for example. I mean, really, you know, top of the game. And I don't know. I don't know how someone like Scott is able. I mean, and, and, and I say this. I say this acknowledging that he gives his all every single time. And I listen to Scott's books and they're always the best. And I'm impressed at how he maintains his own enthusiasm after having done it for so long. And that's just about, I think, remembering why you get into this thing in the first place, which is, which is you want to give someone a good experience. You know, I don't think any of us set out to create entertainment and certainly you know if you're gonna ask someone to listen to a book for your your voice for 12 14 hours you, you want to try and give them something <laughs> that they enjoy <laughs> yeah you know? and I, well, I think focusing on that is the way you keep your enthusiasm up yeah I think being able to jump into something new or being able to try something is how you stay uh, excited about what it is currently that you're doing otherwise yeah, it, be, it, sure. can, it can be become mundane because um, even if I find the joys in what it is that you do after a while, you're going, hmm, I wonder what this would sound like uh, or right. do this instead. And For sure. it's, it, I think it's important in us as listeners, we can tell when some of y'all are phoning it in. <laughs> it's you you can, of, right? I've, wa yeah. I, I've wondered about that. You can. Oh, right? yes. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 uh, there's some listeners that don't care and they're like, he still sounds hot or he still sounds good or they sound great still. Because even at that phoning in level, it's still decent. But for some of us, especially myself, I've been doing this now for 15 years as a whole mm -hmm. from, a, from listening to being such a lover of books and words and performance that I also kind of get to know where those cadences are and kind of, you know, where the hyperness kind of comes into place a little bit of the excitement. And I'm like, well, oh, you're just phoning it in right. <laughs> at this point. I'm like, sure. why? Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's sometimes it's busy schedules. It was just something that they didn't jive with the material itself. Because that's the other thing too. Um, I think when it comes down to audiobooks, you get to pick and choose. Maybe not so much at the very beginning of your career, but later on, you know, you get to be a little more pickier about where you want to spend that time, and that also For helps sure. with keeping the enthusiasm about it. Um, Absolutely. But you, but you've also dealt delved into now both sides of the of the world of books and specifically, specifically romance because not only did you start narrating it but now you're also writing it co-writing is is a interesting dynamic in the sense of how that process works every co-author that i've spoken to uh, the process is 
while they might be a little similar, also vastly different. What sure, is yeah. your writing process look like with uh, Julie? Uh, with Ju- with Julie specifically, and I'll say as a, as an aside, you know, I've now co-written a variety of things with a variety of people. Like the, I wrote a you know a film that was out last year that I co-wrote with a friend who who is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter. So it's not like he needs my help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to, to get it done. So in the same way that Julie does not need my help to sell books, you know what I mean? That is not, and and I think she's really special at what she does. So I think, you know, with Julie specifically, I think the reason that, we, well, like I said, the reason I think we thought that we would be able to work together well is because she saw how I adapted her existing books when I wrote the TV pilot. And I changed some things because when you when you go to adaptation from book to screen, you always have to make some concessions. You know, sometimes things just aren't visual and TV is a visual medium, films a visual medium. So those kinds of things have to happen and blah, 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 blah. So she was very, my indication that we would get along well came from when I would approach her and say, may I change this? May I do this? Are you comfortable with this? And she wasn't really precious about it. She was like, yeah, sure. If you can de- if you can defend for me why you need to change this and it makes sense, then, and it's going to make the story better, then yes. And I thought that that was a really generous and collaborative way to approach it. And so I think from my perspective, I was like, oh, this this is a good partnership. And then when she saw what I did with it and that I tried to respect her work, I think she then... And also the my voice, the way that I write. And I'm also a pretty good mimic, so I was able to sort of take her natural voice and blend it with what I was doing. And I think that on the heels of that, we were like, maybe there's a path forward here. Initially, like any initial partnership, uh, you're, you're figuring it out. When you're writing a male-female romance, especially, and you're a man and a woman doing it, the obvious, the obvious thing you're going to do initially is you write the guy, I'll write the woman, and we'll, especially when it's first-person POV, right, and you're alternating chapters. So basically, you're just writing monologues for each of your characters. I say this in some of the author's notes for the books. The thing that was incredible about the first series we did together was it it was an idea that I had had uh, based on a a TV series I had developed that never got made, and I was like, I think we can adapt it and make these characters romance heroes and heroines. And so because it was my idea and it was something that was very personal to me, she let me rewrite her, (laughs) which is incredibly kind and generous. So a lot of the stuff that was in there was reshaped by me or vice versa. If she saw something that she felt rang false, she would reshape it. And that's how we did it. So it was really, you know, first pass and then you get to make notes on the person's writing or you know, if given permission, do some rewriting. And and that was how that worked. And that's just kind of how we've proceeded forth. I will say these next two books that are about to come out, one of them that's coming out June 13th of 2023, is called The Circle, and it is the conclusion to a trilogy that we began in 2018. And of course, in self-publishing especially, it's unheard of to go five years between the second yeah. book and the third book in a trilogy. But I was off making a movie and she was doing her own thing and we just sort of had to put it on hold. And um, honestly, um, and she has been very open about this, which is why I feel comfortable saying it. Uh, she didn't write a word of it. Um, she just it, both of our names were on the cover because it was our shared work that got us there. First two books we did co-write. 
but the third book she was like i i would love to give this to the readers i just don't have time and i and i don't really know where i'm going to take where we would take it do you want to just do it on your own and so this this last one co-written by us from a story perspective because we sort of worked out the story beats and so forth together but um but the writing itself i just did by myself so that's how that worked which is unusual and then another little secret that again she's been very open she's 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 an open no pun intended she's an open book and i really also appreciate i appreciate that about her this the other book is a rom-com that we were actually given a contract to write uh, by our audiobook publisher they requested us to write it and they sort of had the germ of an idea and we developed it from there it's called the row bro which mm -hmm. of course is short for the romance bro and interestingly you'd think because i am in fact the row bro uh, the row the bro <laughs> writing row that I would have written him. But Julie called me as we were about to begin writing and she goes, hey, I have an idea. Do you want to write the woman this time? And I'll write the man. And I was like, mm. sure. So I wrote all the woman's chapters. I wrote all of the heroine's chapters and she wrote the hero's chapters in that one. So for us, it's been really fluid and fairly, um, you know, fairly elastic. We We just kind of go in the direction that we feel like that I think we feel like is going to yield the best product and the best experience. The one thing we don't skimp on is trying to at least get a loose outline. I, here's here's what I will say. I don't know if there are... I'm sure that most people who are going to hear this know the difference between plotters and pantsers. Plotters who plot everything, pantsers who just write by the seat of their pants. I don't know if you can pants it with a co-writer because mm -hmm. I don't know how you... I mean, if you if your vision for where a story is going is so vastly different, I don't think that would work. So we do try and lay a, a roadmap out and then go from there. But but that's been that's sort of been how how it is. I mean, look, if I if I were I don't think she'd say this and it's never really come to this, but I would say that I've always seen it as maybe it's not two votes to one, <clears throat> but it's um, but I've always seen it as like she gets an extra thumb on the scale, 5149, when it comes to decision-making, because this is something that she is the expert at. In the same way that when I was writing screenplays for with the two of us, uh, basically my, my opinion got to win if there was ever a... Uh, a tie. A, a conflict. <laughs> yeah, a tie, exactly right. I get the extra point. So when we're writing romance novels together, I'm certainly going to defer to her because she is you know, wildly successful at it. And um, and like any genre, there are rules, right? There, there are things that people expect, I think, out of their their work. I even say this at the end of one of the first books we wrote together, which was <laughs> when we began our first series, I said, okay, so listen, I want to write this sort of like thematic extended allegory about people emerging out of darkness and finding light and finding the cooling waters of salvation. And she goes, oh, so you don't want to sell books? And I was like... <laughs> And I said, I, I, beg your, I beg your pardon. And she's like, no, all that stuff's great. She's like, I think that's great, great, great. But like, where's the plot and what's the sexy stuff? And I was like, oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. She's like, because all that is important, sure, and we'll bake all that in. But let's let's get to the stuff that people who buy the books that I write are interested in. And so, you know, I think that especially once you're like her, and she's 10 years into her career at this point, and you built a brand something I think she's very good about and honestly has helped me shape for myself a lot is 
the thing I said a minute ago about narrators, who are you doing it for? Like, who are you creating for? Yes, obviously, you should find some satisfaction in it for yourself because otherwise, go do something else. There are way easier jobs in the world. But but I think maintaining a consciousness of, I'm not doing this to satisfy my own ego. I'm doing this to give people an experience that will satisfy them, make them feel happy, is an important thing to keep front and center. And she's helped me, she's helped me really refine that mode of thinking for myself because honestly the actor ego isn't that at all or at least it wasn't for me the actor ego was like you know fuck the audience i'm doing this one for me <laughs> this you know um <laughs> and uh and maintaining a, a a real forward thought process on how can i give the people something like rather than what can i get from rather that's it rather than what can i get from this experience what can i give to people and being more generous about the way that you create art I think it's a really valuable thing that's come out of my experience doing this and, and that collaboration. And it, that's how, that's how we work. Yeah. I think one of the things I was pleasantly surprised in seeing the dynamic between the two of you was how there weren't any egos really involved as well as professional admiration for each other's work and friendliness. And, you know, cause of the, of the friendship that's there, but very respectful. And, you know, banter here and yeah. there and, and finding another, yeah. but because sometimes it happens where there's some lines that are blurred because people think that that's what the audience wants. I'm like, I, if you guys are funny with each other, great. I want to see that. If you guys are, have these little bickery moments, but it's all with respect and I'm not second guessing that respect, I'm all for it. Uh, right. And so that's, that's important too. I will be, let me be, let me be clear. <laughs> Vo voices have gotten raised. You know what I mean? Like, if it, oh, there's a way to do that. Absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's, you know, it's not. <laughs> we 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 did take we did take five years off in between the last thing and this thing, so we we needed a break from each other. But mm -hmm. uh, but it was funny when we picked it back up. We just picked back up like you know, bam, right where we left off. So yeah, and that that's a symbol of of a really something something deeper than whatever superficial thing. Yeah. Um, some some partnerships are formed and I think we have Julie once said we are vastly different but in the ways that really really matter we are very much alike yeah. and I love that and I think that's right yeah because if you guys were exactly the same it would be very boring yeah and also like I, I don't want to be with myself all the time no <laughs> I, yeah I, I do not no 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 I totally understand that I think the being able to collaborate in a way that is fun but still understanding that you know individualization i mean it's like having friends you know that you can not hang out for years and when you guys get back together it's like you just talked on the phone yesterday sort of thing exactly like no time has left so that's great yeah yeah you didn't mention about this the screenwriting and things like that and i was going to ask how that differs from writing books i know you are and have written things in the past but it's different because of the the vision of it and how that looks and what who the audience is and stuff like that how does all that differ from you for the audience that may not know the difference, but also we always say we want this book to be on TV. And then we're like, the book was better. Uh, <laughs> when we finally mm -hmm. get it on sure. TV, but sure. there's, there's reasons for some stuff that may not meet and get on the screen. So how does that differ for you now that you've done both? Well, so the, I mean, the fundamental difference between adaptation and original idea is also part of this conversation, right? Like when you have an original, so there is an actually the author that 
is responsible for me and Julie meeting in the first place is a woman called uh, Amy Kaufman. She is a multiple New York Times bestseller. Uh, she writes uh, YA sci-fi. And actually her newest book, which I will plug here, called Isles of the Gods, is out right now. And it is wonderful. Uh, she's Australian. And I think it's like the number one bestselling book in Australia at the moment. She and her sometime collaborator, she's also co-written a bunch of stuff with two different, three different partners. This guy, Jay Kristoff, and she wrote a book called Illuminate. And in 2015, topped the New York Times, yada, yada, yada. And I got hired by Random House to do the male sort of lead voice in that book. And Julie heard that book and was how, and that was around the time that she was being approached with an audiobook contract for the first time. And she requested me um, for two of her books. And that was actually how we met. And the way that ties into this conversation now, this point is that um, Amy and I have become friends over the years. And she and I are currently writing a screenplay together, an original idea. Um, and that is has been interesting to your question because she is obviously an astonishingly accomplished novelist and a really really good storyteller who has also had i think half of her books she's written like 15 books over the past however long and half of them have been adapted or bought by studios and so forth for adaptation and so she's not unfamiliar with the process but when we sat down to start writing the screenplay and she would send me pages um it would just be like big paragraph blocks of text on the page. And she'd be like, I don't know how to make this. These are my ideas. I don't know how to make this be a screenplay. And so I would be like, okay, well, here's how you do it. I mean, there's an economy of language at work in writing a screenplay or a TV thing that is absolutely necessary. You have to figure out how to take these big bulky scenes that exist on the page in, um, in a novel with lots of description and language and poetry and distill that down to, you know, three sentences. So a lot of it is about just figuring out how to do more with less and be as evocative on the page visually as you can. So that's, that's the original idea part of it, the adaptation part of it and the, why don't they just take the book and put it on the screen, which I, I get and it's valid is because if <laughs> Somebody should do that at some point just to illustrate to an audience how mind-numbingly exhausting that would be. I don't even want to say <laughs> boring, but it would be, you know, you'd be looking like a seven-hour film. You have to sort of extract the parts that communicate the story in the most engaging way. And I think, I think also, look, I mean, I, I'm just going to drop dimes here. Here's the reality. If you are dealing with a story studio if it's say let's say it's netflix and you're dealing with producers and studios or whatever there are no now you're an author let's say you're a self-published author you're a self-published author you and maybe the editor you hire are the only people who really get a say in what you put out there let's say you're a, a traditionally published author well okay now you've got an editor and you've gotten an advance from a major publisher and you're gonna have to listen to some notes and really take those to heart right once you get to the <laughs> once you get to the visual medium phase, I mean you've got producers and then executives above that and then executives above that. And it becomes, like I said earlier, this corporate thing. And you are now being you took the money, right? Like you took the money and now you are being paid to do a job. And so many people get to have their opinions and voices in on that. And 
with very few exceptions, obviously, if Stephen King wanted to veto something, he could. If Neil Gaiman wants to veto something, he can. If if E.L. James wanted to, you know, dictate some terms, I'm sure that that's on the table. Most most people who have their work adapted do not get that kind of say. And so you're serving a lot of masters. And also, I think also, you know, you're trying to mitigate risk. A lot of creating entertainment is about risk mitigation when you're talking about TV and film, because there's millions and millions of dollars on the line. And I, you know, look, I'm not an advocate for that. I think that the best stuff comes from trusting that the creatives know what they're doing. You know, side note, and I'll get on my soapbox for a second. I'm in the middle, as we're having this conversation, of a writer's strike, right? The Writers Guild of America, of which I am a member, is on strike for a lot of reasons. Yes, some of them are financial and about fair compensation. But, you know, one of the big sticking points that continues coming up is this AI conversation. Because as AI becomes more advanced, and this, by the way, is also a conversation in the audiobook community, too. And the author um, world, because now they're writing stories. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. I mean, I think the studios are at the point where I know we're digressing a little, but I think it's the studio. But I'll circle back after I say that I think the studios, for example, are are really saying the Writers Guild of America came to the studios and said, one of the things we want in our new contract is a guarantee that you will hire real writers and not AI as AI continues to develop. And the um, AMPTP, the guild, the organization that represents the studios said, uh, LOL, no. And um and you know i look do i think that we are five years out even 10 years out from an ai being able to write a fully endowed invested piece of art probably not but i do think that we are that length of time away from one being able to create enough of a bare bones that you then bring in someone to you know like human it up a little bit um and they've saved a lot of money and yada 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 and i think that we are at a place now too where audiobooks and companies who produce audiobooks are like, well, I mean, for 20 bucks a month, I could just get this AI platform and it could narrate the books. And, you know, there are people who might not dig it, but then, you know, there are also people who might think it's fine and let's see if we can get away with it. And I think with authoring and all of it. So, so the, this is the natural progression of the thing that you were talking about earlier about what happens in the course of creating material from existing material from source IP you you do your best to lean into the most meaningful parts of a story extract those put them on the screen and try and convey the emotion and the feeling and the heart and the whatever but i think when all of it is stripped down to the the most fundamental answer to the question of why does it feel like sometimes this isn't as good as the book or whatever it's because and i think this is the argument for why ai can't do the job that creatives do nothing is as robust as the human imagination and so when you're reading a book you are visualizing it it is deeply personal it feels like an extremely private experience between you and the words and all of the imagery and everything that's happening is occurring in your own imagination and it is fundamentally cracked it is bespoke it is a bespoke way to engage with entertainment crafted to your own experience and when you're watching something that someone else has manipulated and contorted, you're you're getting their experience of it. And I think and I think that's why. And and nobody goes, I don't well, look, that's not true. There are cynical people out there, but for the most <laughs> part, I think 
I think for the most part, people approach people approach this this business of writing books and making movies and creating stories and telling stories with best of intentions and nobody sets out to piss anybody off but it's inevitable that it's that it's going to happen and you know the the I am a masochist and I read every bit of criticism <laughs> about everything that I've ever made I absolutely take it in and I don't take it in because I want to seek guidance. Like, in other words, I'm not going to change the way I do things because someone uh, says they do or don't like something. Mm -hmm. But I but I absolutely want to know if writ large, if in the big picture. I am I am making people feel something that is largely positive. Or largely negative, because I think the worst thing that you can do, and now I'm on a tangent that has nothing to do with your question, but I think the worst thing that you can do in art is make something that makes someone go, eh, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Like, to, to me, that's the worst sin. It's way worse than I hated this. Yes. I so, agree with that. So, I've, I've, I've always yeah. told, um, because we're voracious readers and we're always like, it comes out today at 12, it got published and we're done by like five o'clock and we're going to the author. <laughs> when's the next one coming out? And you're like, it took months. Right. And we're like, but when's the next one? And I, you know, sometimes there's been that conversation among the readers about the author's not writing fast enough or uh, you know, along those lines. And I've always been the one that says, listen, I would much rather wait for a book that I'm going to love and be like wowed at Versus having the author rush it and have it be, it's okay. A friend of mine who's an author uh, was telling a story about a friend of theirs who I don't know, but um, but an, a, a writer who had a deal. And what my friend told me was that their friend uh, got to a point where if they had just taken another month with it, Mm -hmm. that it probably would have been, you know, chef's kiss, but they felt some weird obligation to wrap it up and they did and it came out and it was fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's the different, that, that extra, is that worth it? Because that's now out there forever. Yeah. And if you had taken those extra four weeks, no one's going to remember those four weeks. No, we'll wait. You know? <laughs> it's another <laughs> book. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, but, but to really, to try and actually answer your question um, about, about what the fundamental difference is, is um, it's, it's, it's uh, writing for screen and writing a novel really is about stripping. It's just about stripping down. Mm -hmm. um, my, my first drafts of my screenplays are always like 300 pages um, and I need to get them down to, you know, like 105, but I just do the first draft of get everything out there and then I go back through and I'm like all right so what am I actually needing to say and then what's you know I just I wrote a, a short film that I directed and I'm in editing with it right now and it continues even at that point I did like three drafts of the short script we got on set we were shooting it and I was like mm, let's let's cut this it's not working the actor wasn't finding it and now we're in the editing bay and I just cut over the weekend, I cut another scene from it. So, you know, it's really about stripping it down until you find the leanest, cleanest version of the thing that you want to want to tell. And um, and I do think that some books do that. Right. Like, I think that there are the, there's in the classic literature world, there's the Hemingway and there's the Faulkner. 
There's the Faulkner who wanders through the woods and paints all these pictures and language and run-on sentences or James Joyce or whatever. And then there's the Hemingway where it's, you know, nice, tight, short sentences that get to the point and deliver. And neither one is invalid. I think it's just about, you know, what feels honest for a writer. Look, obviously, anyone listening to this can tell I'm a fairly loquacious person. Um, <laughs> no one has ever accused me of using too few words to make a point. Um but uh, and that's why for me, I have to go back and editorialize my own work so much, because I, if left to my own devices, I'll, you know, I'll write infinite jest and it'll be a thousand pages long and whatever. And uh, and and so I, I want to be thoughtful, but I also, you know, I think as long I, I think as long as you can figure out as a writer, as a storyteller, how to tell the thing that is authentic to you, that that's the thing that you should be telling and the way finding your own voice is i think the hardest thing for for most writers to discover and i think it takes some people are prodigies and weird that way but i think for most people it takes a while to really find their true voice and own it and um and i think that a I think that a, a reader, an audience member, or whatever, can tell when something's been made just for opportunity and when it's yeah. been made out of a real need to tell the story. Yeah. There's been a few books where I'm like, this could have just been a novella. Right. Versus yeah. an entire full book. It actually, the story would have been better if it would have just been more of a novella. You would have gotten right. the meat of it. And, and other times when they'll use certain scenes as fillers, like my pet peeve is when authors use sex scenes as fillers. Instead so, okay, of... so, so let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. As an avid reader, as someone who, who consumes a lot, do you feel like you have a pretty good bullshit detector for when that kind of thing is going on? Yeah. Really? I do, yeah. Just be, and also be uh, because I do people watch in the sense of on social media and what they're posting and how they're doing it. There's also been times where I'm going, did they use a ghostwriter? Or did mm. someone else pop in? that's also sometimes where that's what I was asking about how you guys go about writing the books together, because there's some authors that like you guys will take turns or doing solely just the POV. Others will take turns in the chapter. So if that chapter lands in the opposite POV, that's what the that's what they're writing at that point. And there are times where they'll mix things together, but I could tell who was writing what, whether it's the dialogue or something got sloppy or there's a, you know, someone put a joke that I'm going, yeah, that's not their style or hasn't been their style in previous mm -hmm. books and things like that. And it sometimes it works. And sometimes I'm going, go back, go back to doing it how you were doing it before, please. And, but yeah, I think sometimes there's the different types of readers too. Some readers are going to love the book and the story because they love the author. And so it could be a okay book and they're raving about it and it's a five star for them and but everything has been a five star for them since day one they picked up the book and started reviewing and there's some of us that might be a little bit more pickier about wanting and needing to have that plot and character development and you know i know it's romance so i know it's going to be a happy ending but how they get there in that journey is important and if the story calls for having 15 sex scenes for an example okay great as long as it's moving the story forward if you're using it and you're going again, isn't she sore? <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> like you have nothing else to tell me besides that them add it again. I'm like, I, I got it. The first 16 times that they had sex, that there's chemistry there. But at the same time, I'm going, ouch, you know, I'm like, seriously, dude, really give me something else. But yeah, I think sometimes it just depends on the person other and all if they're a mood reader, if that's what they want. 
smut right now is really popular, which is formerly known as erotica, you know, as call it what it is. And that's just more sex driven than it is plot driven. And right. and that's fine and everything. But I'm like, I'm the girl that kind of needs to have more plots than anything. Right. Whether it fades to black or not is fine. But yeah, it's, um, I can I can tell. And others, some of you guys are really good that I'm going that I'll talk to you afterwards. And you're like, no, it's just bullshitting that. I'm like, damn, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that shit because usually I would. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, you did good. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, that's its own skill set. Like, no yeah. one sneeze at that, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of goes into that. But I think, too, as, as because we love the stories, we always want to see how else can we see it or share with others that are not readers. And so when something becomes a, a TV show or a movie, we're like, oh, we're going to get to watch it with so-and-so. And that's just part of that community and wanting to share the love of something that we have passion for. And, and nowadays it just seems that that's more and more popular. And so I, I know a lot of authors are looking at, okay, how can I get this to be on the TV screen adaption, but don't really realize sometimes what they're giving up control sure. <laughs> of yeah. their, of their, of their stories. Others have been very fortunate or we have someone like passion flicks that works with the author and it's a smaller production company for, you know, making things into movies and TV series, but follow more along the lines of the plot of the book and so something for everybody kind of a thing yeah for sure, for mm -hmm. sure. yeah so the being that you've done all these different roles within the community and but now that you're doing the writing as well knowing that this for example the the book that's coming out that was brought to you guys as far as in audio first did, did that writing style change a little bit knowing it was going to be in audio versus eyeball reading yeah it's a great question i want to say i want to say i don't think so but but i think the answer is probably yes and and yes because th not only was it brought to us by our audiobook publisher initially but then we predetermined who we wanted to actually narrate for us so we decided that I mean, I, narr I narrate all of the stuff that we write together. Previous to now, I've done it under my uh, my romance novel pseudonym, and I'm actually narrating The Robro under my name, which it, the book is very meta. So there's you'll see when one listens to it or reads it, like that ties into the actual narrative of the book. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we, we chose to do that. But beyond me, this wonderful narrator, Ann Pepperidge, an actor that I've known from my New York theater days who narrated the two previous rom-coms that Julie and I wrote together. And she's just got killer comic timing and just really knows what she's doing. And then we had a third sort of God voice and a third person omniscient set of chapters that exist outside of the space and time of the two main characters and we knew we wanted julia whalen for that and we got her which is not necessarily a foregone conclusion to your point earlier julia says no to a lot and so we were able to to get julia to come aboard so knowing that it was going to be very much my voice knowing it was going to be Anne's voice and julia's voice yes i think we did try and write to that to a degree what is interesting, of course, in this iteration of what we've done is historically, as I've written the characters that I would ultimately voice myself, the POVs that I would give voice to, Julie wrote the character that I am giving voice to. And I will say that um, not only did it affect, I think, to a greater or lesser degree, just our consciousness of making it audio friendly, but when I was narrating it, it was a different experience than narrating the books that she and I have written together before. Because even though I 
read every chapter as they were being written and played an important role in crafting it and shaping it. It's not like the words lived in my brain the same way they do when I created them from scratch. And so even though I had read the book five times or whatever, I was like, oh, right. I totally forgot about this because <laughs> um, because it wasn't mine to to do that. That said, I think, you know, I think Julie does a good job of the reason she has a stable of narrators that narrate her stuff over and over again. I think a lot of people do is for audiobooks. You know, if you're an author, you find a person whose voice comports to your voice in the most impactful way. And then you try and just work with them over and over and over again. So Julie now writes in a variety of different styles, too. That's the other thing is she's like Colleen Hoover in that way. She doesn't just write sort of one thing. And so she knows if she's going to write this kind of erotica, maybe she wants this narrator or their voice. If she's going to narrate, write, you know, the, a rom-com, she's got the person that she goes to for that. And so I think that that mitigates the need to write for them because you can just write for you and know that they know what to do with it because they have experience with it. And so in this case, I think it was a little bit from column A, a little from column B, is that we were conscious, but, you know, just like reading reviews that are, <laughs> that are maybe, you know, glowing or not, you try not to let them get to you. So I, I think we put aside the idea. We need to make it be X or Y thing and just trust and just trusted that we know what we're doing enough that when it gets into the narrator's hands, that they will understand how to deliver it. And also we're very collaborative. You know, if they have questions, if a, if a narrator has questions for any of the stuff that we've written, well, I can ask myself, but um, the other narrators. <laughs> um, Sorry, we, not we, a visual. We, we have a, I, yeah, n listen, I'm, I'm I'm mildly schizophrenic. So, um, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's an open door that we have. And, and, and we always invite that conversation. And that's the thing I really also like about working with our audiobook publisher, which who I will plug here, Podium Audio. And anybody who listens to a lot of audiobooks knows them. They're fantastic. They're super inviting. There are places that don't really want the authors and the narrators to have a bunch of back and forth. Um, that is not the case with these guys. They're they're pretty great. So so it feels like it's a real I mean, it's look, it's they're they're a major corporation. They're worth however much they're worth. They produce all these audiobooks, yada yada yada. But at the end of the day, somehow they we all have managed to maintain a feeling of let's just roll up our sleeves and go, go. My uncle has a barn and let's go put on a play, you guys. And I think that that feeling of like rough and tumble, like let's let's make something together yields a really good product. And so we we I don't know. I feel like excluding the people who are going to be ultimately working with you is not all is not a good policy. So, yeah, I think that. That writing for writing for audio first and knowing it was going to be audiobook produced right from jump was something that we wanted to pay careful attention to. I'm excited. I when you guys revealed the cover and the blurb. Oh, you saw uh, it. Yeah, I like the the cover. I'm like, okay, great. Okay, we're going cartoon. Okay, good. And then yeah. I read the blurb and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, yeah, yeah, you want to tell us <laughs> about I, it? You, 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 I, you know what? Here's the thing. If I'm worried again. I, I again I am I am a I am a free talker, so I am worried that I'll <laughs> say the wrong thing. So why don't you tell people what you read and then I'll yeah. know what's out there. 
Okay. I can't always remember what's already been revealed and what has. Got it. Okay. So I know from Jay, from Julie's post, it's like, it's authors gone wild. Readers stage a revolt, book talkers, bookstagrammers, and a dream date planned by an AI concierge at the biggest romance event of the year. And it's the best part, you don't even need to have a ticket to attend. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's one of those where you guys were throwing, seems like there's a lot of different things from a book, from a reader's perspective, they were going, oh, um, so we have uh, S.C. Smith Scott, who's an author and uh, known as S.S., which again, with pseudonyms and, you know, all those things are always kind of fun to kind of play with those. Right. Uh, has been the number one spicy romance writer in the world for the past 10 years. Movie deals, merchandise, dozens of books on the New York Times bestselling list and the founder of the biggest romance convention to ever hit the planet. I'm going, I might know them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scoring an invitation to the Sin With Us romance convention in Las Vegas is the big break every romance author hopes for. And Cynthia Lear names just made it to the top of the wait list again something i know all about <laughs> from mm -hmm. the author's world she's mm -hmm. in and she's gonna make the most of it this is her chance to shine and propel her career to the stratosphere but then she meets sc's twin brother steve not only is steve smith handsome and charming and loves her work he's also lying to the whole world literally everyone because his twin sister essie isn't the one who's writing all those super spicy master <laughs> master choke books all these years it's steve <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it yeah yep. that's it i mean that's the blurb I, and i'm going yeah. i want it <laughs> yeah it does and and look i mean talk about anybody who's already a fan of julie's or has read the stuff that we've written together i mean there are there are easter eggs like i can't talk about a lot of them but one of them is in the blurb like the Sin With Us convention, the the convention that we named the Sin With Us convention, the very first book that Julie and I wrote together is called Sin With Me. So like we already were aping our own material right from jump. I mean, there's, yes, it's it's really, really fun. Um, It's really, it's, it's should I, can, can I plug my own thing? It's Absolutely. Really got, it's really <laughs> fucking, it's really fucking funny. Like it's really funny. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing that I love about writing comedy with Julie is that she's known historically as this really dark, twisty writer. And she is, but she's also goddamn funny. And like her <laughs> rhythm and her sense of timing is is really, really good. And so, you know, this is about a writer who writes really, really dark shit, but the book itself is a comedy. And so this is another way that we found like, all right, how can we take from our real story and 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 put it into the book? And I, I talk a little about this in the author's note at the end, but um, or what what Julie created uh, early on in her career, the EOBS, the end of book shit is what she called it. So in the <laughs> end of book shit, I do write a little about this, but I'll, I'll say it here too. I mean, the reason we got approached is because we've worked with Podium now for however long and they know us really well. They knew that part of our story that I didn't haven't talked about here is that when we were not able to ultimately get Julie's existing books that I had optioned and written the thing that they had optioned and written a thing for set up as a TV series, there were lots of people around this town, this town being Hollywood, when I would go in and, and pitch the the 
the book series. The company is what it was called. And they're based on a series of books that Julie wrote called the Rook and Ronan books. Every single person was like, I love this concept. This is really cool. Let us talk about it. But before you go, so you're a guy and you're married to a woman and you live in LA and there's this romance writer and she lives in wherever she lives on her ranch and you two write romance novels together and you're this like big, you know, local, like, you know, highly verbal TV actor and she's this reclusive shadowy romance. That's the show I want to see. <laughs> and so I actually, we actually sold that. We got someone to pay us to write that. So I wrote three different versions of a TV show fictionalizing my writing partnership with Julie and our writing relationship together in the TV version. Obviously it was going to be a more traditional rom-com like friends to lovers, lovers, yeah. enemies, enemies to lovers kind of blah, 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 blah. But, um, but that then kind of ran its course. And when podium reached out, they said, how much of that stuff can you steal from yourselves without us getting sued? Uh, <laughs> like, can we do the, the book version of that? And I was like, well, no, because someone else owns that material. But let us talk about the versions of our real experience that we can draw from and put into this book and what the funniest, most interesting, most romantic comedy version of that is. And so... So there is a lot of stuff inspired by their names of real people in the book. There are things that we've done in the book. There are real character traits about both of us in the book, in the characters, you know, it, they are their own unique thing, but, um, but, but that, that also made it a lot of fun to do. And I think that that comes through. And of course the upside to doing something like that is for somebody who's a super fan or really knows Julie's work, they're going to get all the jokes. They're going to get all the inside references and it's going to just be a treat. And then the goal, of course, is you also want to make something that if someone doesn't get all of those inside jokes, that it's still, you know, a, a super entertaining thing. And I think that because because Julie and I have such interesting perspectives on the world of romance novels, her from coming from the ground up and starting right when it was really the self-published part of it, especially was really taking off and me coming into it from an outsider's perspective. I think that we represent a lot of different voices and opinions. And then and then the fact that we're going to release it the week of Book Bonanza and the entire book happens to be set at a book convention is just a happy coincidence. But like but super fun and yeah, I it's 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 also by the way uh by the way Julie Huss wrote that blurb because she was like you want to shout at the blurb? I'm like no, you're the fucking blurb master. Like write the blurb. You're so she's she just understands how to get right to the heart of a thing. It's interesting. We were talking before about how do you distill out? I mean, writing a blurb oh gosh, yeah. kind of uses the same skill set that you use when you're writing when you're adapting a screenplay. It's like how do you take this 300 and something page thing and get it down to the essential elements? And that's a really hard thing to learn how to do too and julie just happens to be good at all of it like she also i would also like to just for anybody who doesn't know julie's work she does the cover art herself she writes the blurbs she i mean like she is a one person publishing industry <laughs> <laughs> and if she ever wanted to actually be a publisher i'm sure she'd do incredibly well at it but that would require her having to deal with lots of other people. And I, I do not think that is something that is <laughs> that she's eager to do by her own admission. She mm -hmm. just wants to write books and, you know, tell good Get stories. Get up the loud one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that, I'm so grateful that we were given the opportunity to do something in this world because 
doing a piece about the world that brought us together it just feels like a really appropriate way to pay homage to to this experience that we've shared you know what i mean yeah no absolutely i know that uh, there's always the announcements of you know books being written or it's coming out or they'll share the cover and the blurb and stuff like that this is the first book in a, in a little while that i was like holy shit i want it <laughs> oh nice well, that's nice yeah. to hear yeah nice to hear. um it was just being part of the of going to the conventions and you know working with some of the authors that you know who they really are versus their pseudonym and same thing with you guys as narrators it's one of those where you kind of get to see the insiders but also behind the scenes of things and yeah it's one of those like this is this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. Portrayed. I hope so. Fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. You working with words all day long, whether it's writing it and or, you know, narrating things. What's your favorite word? I have two. My favorite word. Well, and so in the English language we're talking about, right? Like it, actually, uh, it doesn't really matter because a lot of times people have been because they're bilingual or trilingual and or have other backgrounds that they have. Uh, they have words from other places, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do speak a couple of other languages, but on the spot, I think better in English. So I guess my two, fa so I'll just stick with that for the moment. But my two favorite English words are insouciant, because I just love the very concept of what it means that, that this idea of, and it is an onomatopoeia, right? It is like, it, it feels like what it is, carefree and effortless and easy. And then to that end, um, my other favorite word is mellifluous. <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's beautiful. Also, I just love the way like it looks on when you write it and the way the F comes around with the S and the U and the I and the, so those are my two. What are yours? Oh, um, hmm. Serendipity is one mm. that I like. Mm -hmm. And then another one that's, it's in Spanish is like querida, like cherish one. So. Oh, that's lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so beautiful. Yeah, this is one of those where it's like it can mean so many different things, which is also why when it comes down to like the love stuff and even the emotional side, I tend to go more with the Spanish words just because there's significantly more levels in English. We're like, I like you and I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and in Spanish, there's yeah. a bunch of different ones kind of categorizing where you fit into this and how much you mean to me or how much you don't mean to me. It's, right. it's very fun. What about your favorite curse word? Oh, fuck. Like, no question. <laughs> by By a wide margin. <laughs> By a wide fucking margin, I easy easy peasy. I I I I use it all the time, and it's it's interesting. I I narrate um some sci-fi fantasy stuff that's that is lit RPG, which is a subgenre, right? And there are it was recently on one of the message boards about I can't remember which site, but uh, someone talking about how do you something to the effect of how do you feel when authors use profanity liberally do you feel like it is covering up their inability to find a more appropriate word does it feel lazy does it feel, and i think that at the end of the day that words are look at the end of the day i think words are a shitty communicator just like you were pointing out there are so many different words to express this concept because some concepts are fundamentally inexpressible um you know, some, I think it's, is it traditional Tibetan? Doesn't have a word for hate, right? Because because the fundamental ethos of that doesn't allow for it and so forth. So I, I think that words are a shitty communicator. So I want to use all of them at my disposal. And I think that like swearing 
if you can marshal the forces of it and create the right intent behind it and because fuck can mean something cruel it can mean something funny it can mean and i i think that it just has and the fact that people respond to it so viscerally um and it means it's provocative and it's doing something right in in the second book that julie and i wrote together (laughs) there is a scene where one of our characters whether he is really dead or whether he is just imagining that he is dead he has a conversation with god and in the conversation he has with god god is swearing a fucking blue streak and he's like fucking this and cocksucking that and blah 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 blah. and he's like any more motherfucking questions (laughs) and the guy guy, our hero goes just just, or anything else you want to say and our hero goes just just one thing you know you you swear a lot more than i thought you would and what god says and I remember when I wrote it, I, I sat, sat back. It just spilled out, and I sat, sat back, and I was like, "Oh, I'm. Oh, this is my new credo. I didn't know that. It, uh, this is this this. I channeled something, and God says, you know, they're just words. I didn't invent them. You assholes did. They only mean something if you give them meaning, right? And so these things only in are are given meaning by virtue of us endowing them with that value set. And so for me, it's like, there's just something that when I use the word fuck, that just feels so, it just feels so satisfying and it feels like <laughs> I can breathe again. And also I would, I would add that, that I, it, that it, it's a noun. It's a, it's a verb. It's an adverb. It's an adjective. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's how I use it. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking perfect. So yeah, so it is. It is. It is my favorite word. I. I was talking about words the other day with someone because, um, I was taught. I, I I was asked to teach an acting class last year, and I and I did. This is completely off topic, but I think it's interesting. These kids are all in their early 20s. They just got to L.A. They're all striving to do whatever, right? And I found myself two things. One, I find my I feel like I'm a pretty plugged-in cat who keeps up with what's going on in the world. They were using – I didn't know what happened. I was like, what the fuck is Riz? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> what the fuck is that? What do you mean? Um, so there was that. And then the other thing was there are things that historically – I have said very flippantly words that I've kind of used that I think are funny or concepts or whatever. And I'm like, ah, I know, I know that there is a certain sensitivity that these young people would have to me saying this thing, which I fucking love because it forces me to continue to evolve in my own modes of expression. And I actually think that being conscious of the way that language evolves and the way we communicate and what is in vogue and what's not and how fashion works and it'll what's in fashion and what isn't allows us to continue pushing and as someone who does work with words i i like you said a moment ago there's you know less con less words to express x concept in in english love and you know hate or whatever i love you i like you at this or that i would counter with I adore you. I yearn for you. I need you. I these are all words that we can apply, right? And I think that compelling ourselves to figure out how to express ourselves 
more precisely, more thoughtfully, with a greater degree of sensitivity, with a greater degree of earnestness, is just is is a, a really exciting and wonderful thing. And I I think that um I don't know, I think that so much opportunity to find entertainment, back to the thesis of this conversation, to find the reason that I enjoy doing so many things is just that many more opportunities to reach that many more people, which in turn informs my experience of being alive. I touch, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a really exciting time because I don't know, there's never been a time in history when you can make an impact on this many people and have this many people make an impact on you. You and I found each other because of the way the world is constructed now. You know, we never would have found it. And, and it's such an exciting time. And I think that it's a, I think that the reason that I, by the way, this wasn't asked, but it's, I think, intrinsic in what we're talking about, the reason that I was ultimately drawn to romance and, and said yes is because the stories are about hope and they are about fantasy and they are about happily ever afters and they are about finding the good in things at the end of the day, you know? And those are the stories that I'm far and away the most interested in telling. And, um, and they have fucking in them. That's my favorite word. So <laughs> it all works out really well. Yeah. Yeah. You also bring up a good point about ways of expressing, like you were saying, like I burn for you, I yearn for you. Um, funny how we sometimes think of those more from a physicality of my, you know, defining the the love or the like, and then getting to that point, there's, there's just something more. I think Bridgerton now has kind of ruined uh, or allowed mm. us to kind of think more about how to go about expressing the I love you to be more meaningful, to truly express the whole, like, I burn for you. Or mm -hmm. the most recent one with Charlotte's uh, is uh, my heart calls for you. It's just the ways mm. to kind of express it. And I'm going, oh, okay. That's a good way. I'm like, who do I feel about that? Okay. <laughs> it, just, it just, I I wrote a love letter to my wife in one of the EOBSs um, <laughs> because it was like, hell, I have the opportunity. And these are books about romance. And, um, and one of the things I said in there was, she is the reason that I see color. Hmm. That was the best way that I could think to express like how I feel about my love for her is right. Like yeah. she allows me to see color in the world. Like she brings the world from gray and black and white into full technicolor luminosity, you know? And like that, I think that there are so many ways to express people are so much. It's, I think there's so many ways to express a feeling. And I think that it is weirdly very easy for people to express their dissatisfaction. Yes. I think there are, and and I think that if we put a little more effort into finding ways to express the things that we love, um, that we would all slow down a little and, and, and maybe love a little bit more, which is, by the way, super fucking woo woo. And I know that like <laughs> whatever, but it's really how I feel. And it's it's actually why I love being part of the romance world. Yeah, because everybody that I've met in it cares about the same things in in a really real way. And they get excited in a really like the, the enthusiasm when I meet readers or they reach out to me online or whatever, it just touches my heart. You know, it's like, wow, I'm doing something good here. And that feels like a really good thing. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I love the community so much and have stuck around as much as I have is that at the end of the day, regardless of what our background, our history is, where we're from, the one thing we have in common is we have that hope for that HEA at the end of the, you yeah. know, of the story. Yeah. And, you know, we have so many different, um, things in romance whether it's the kink or the location or if it's a fate to black versus more spicy stuff 
And we all are, for the most part, I want to say, because there's always one or two bad apples, but for the majority of the part, we are all acceptance <laughs> of everybody and everything. And we're more in, you know, having to have everyone join. Like we don't, there's not a whole lot of gatekeeping. Right. You feel safe to ask the question in the, in the community of, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Where can I get? And then the recommendations are like hundreds of pages long. And where else can right. you get that kind of like, you know, community building that, um, that doesn't happen really outside of that. So it's always fun yeah. to, to be able really to do beautiful. that. It is. Yeah. You should you should know you're the enchantress of books. You should know these things. <laughs> well, that's kind of how that name came about, honestly. Because it, it was really one of those how? Yeah, this kind of thinking about where I would fit into the community and what I thought and felt my role was in the community. And I kind of like the whole like the what books are magical. I'm like, okay, good, they're they're magical. What about it? Where where do I fit? I'm like, well, I'm like the one that can combine everything and everyone together and showcase that. So enchanting everyone with oh. the different books, you know. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. The witch this just didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> the book you know, witch. The book Viviana witch. the book witch. Yeah. yeah. You know different, different image. Yeah. Exactly. Enchantress just sounds a lot more too. Also how you say it, right? The words. Absolutely. And how it flows. Yeah. Plus it also does look pretty in, in certain fonts. So I was like, there yeah. There you go. I yep. love it. Mm -hmm. love all it. these things that you think about. Can I ask how many languages you do speak and what they are? Sure. Um, I uh, I speak uh, English, uh, French, uh, uh, and serviceable Italian and Spanish. So all Romance languages. You know, I'm actually half Greek, but I wasn't raised with my very long story. I won't go into it, but I only connected over the pandemic with my Greek family, like my cousins. I finally met them all after all these years and we're not friends. And they speak Greek. And I was like, oh, boy, I should learn how to speak Greek as well. And they were like, you don't want to take that on if you didn't learn <laughs> it as a child. They're like, you just don't. And a friend of mine was just in Tokyo for a few months working on a project. And he came back speaking some Japanese. And I was like, oh, maybe I should. He was like, you don't want to. Don't don't even. He's like, unless you're really going to go and live there, don't. It's not. Don't do it. So so that's it. Ro romance languages feel Latinate based languages are the ones that speak. OK, um, how about you? Are you multilingual? Obviously. English is my first and primary language. Spanish. Uh, right. It takes me a week to read a paragraph because we were very <laughs> Americanized. And then because of the Spanish, I can understand Portuguese and Italian. And ah, I yeah. speak a little bit of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Italian more so than the Portuguese. Um, but yeah, it's just something I've always wanted to. But I'm also a learner. So it would it, I would dive in. And, yeah. you know, as everything I've ever done and which is where I wear the multiple roles in the, in the industry kind of thing. It kind of all started as a, that sounds interesting. <laughs> How can I help? And bam, such a matter experts and businesses. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. That's, uh, you know, curiosity, not judgment. That is my, yeah. that is my go-to. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just one of those things where it's personally why I'm not picking up making a epoxy resin stuff. Cause I, I will probably end up, making a business out of it because I don't do anything half-assed but I because of that learner though I'm always enthusiastic about how people think why do they do things where did this story come from why did you decide to make it that way versus this way and mm. and just also I trust in the author and the narrator's performances and their their writing so I'm like oh okay that's where you want to go cool let's take me to the journey and I just that. enjoy that process yeah
Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I think that that's that's a beautiful way to in interact with the work as opposed to I'm not and I'm not telling that this is the wrong way. It just feels like if I'm the kind of person who is looking for the thing that doesn't meet my expectations, then I'm already setting myself up to be disappointed. Oh, yeah. And so going in open like that is just, I think, uh, the, the open vessel way of approaching consuming entertainment is the the healthier way. And it's going to lead to a better experience. Mm -hmm. I, someone someone has made a joke the other day that I loved, which was like, um, I said, so what's your favorite? He's like, I'm a cinephile. I'm a cinephile. I've seen every movie. I study films. I was, da -da 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 -da. I was like, so what's your favorite movie? He goes, oh, I hate all movies. <laughs> And that was kind of a joke, but I'm like, yeah, it's it's it, you talk about gatekeeping. It's like that that person who's like, I know everything about music and I know all the time signatures and I know whatever and I whatever, and that's why I hate every single song I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fair enough, Go, you do you, but I'd rather just be happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I try to find the joy in anything and everything I do. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. Yeah, for sure. And that's and that's the moment that I'm like, what else can I learn? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm I not if I'm not having fun at it and it's just how my brain works and it's always just moving into something different and everything has a there's always something in common a very creative process of everything I like the creativity of it and uh being able to express myself and even if it's through other people's work it's you know mm, always joyful that's, that's beautiful I mm. love that I'm Thanks. stealing that okay <laughs> I'll credit you but I'm stealing that's great <laughs> That's great. Hey, if you have stole from me before, no worries. <laughs> like I said, there's always a few bad apples, but I can still make sure. a great apple pie with the apples that are there that are still there. Good. You go. There so you go. That's what it is. One of the things I do love doing with my guests, aside from getting to know them so much better in these kind of conversations, is to play the game of two truths and a lie, where you tell me three things about yourself and we're going to figure out which one's the lie. Also, see how good you are as far as lying. But then again, y'all are actors. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, let me see. Well, I've already talked about so much about myself in this in this thing. Um It was the point. <laughs> let me yeah, yeah. Let me think here. Let me think. All right. So two truths and a lie. I have never ridden a motorcycle. I have only been out of the country uh one time. And when I was a child. I wanted more than anything in the world to be a firefighter. Hmm. Okay. So never ridden a motorcycle, never been outside of the country except for that one time. And as mm -hmm. a child wanted to be nothing more than just a firefighter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. Details. <laughs> And also, like, I uh -huh. fucked it up. I, I fucked it up. I did two lies and a truth. So I already <laughs> fucked it up right from the start. So okay, I, and well. here's, a, here's the thing. And I'll tell everybody. I'll t talk about the truth. Uh, Viviana uh, sent me an email letting me know that that's one of the things she would ask. And I totally forgot to prepare. So that's part of the reason I'm caught up short right now is that I completely got distracted because I have six careers and totally forgot to prepare. So. And as someone that knows and understands that, I'm not going to fault you for it. It's fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we're going to flip the script. And in the sense of we're going to do figure out the truth, which one's the truth um, instead of the lie. Right. Um, so no worries there. Hmm. Never been on a motorcycle is the truth. Uh, I used to own a motorcycle. Okay. So, um, so no. Okay. All right. 
I wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah. Like that's that's like I want like I I the the guy in the first books that we wrote the first four books that Julie and I wrote are all about firefighters and I talk about how much I revere them and love them. Like I uh I just I think that they're I think that they are the best of us. And uh yeah, when I was a kid, that was the thing. I just wanted to be a firefighter so, so, so much. And uh and then uh I set fire to my backyard. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> You trying to put it out? Because I thought I could put it out, but I couldn't. <laughs> and then we had to call the fire department. And oh uh, and I was like, I was like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. Um, <laughs> maybe what I actually wanted to be was a pyromaniac. I don't know. I can't. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I figured the whole traveling was uh, a lie. And yeah, the know, motorcycle again, was a little bit like, okay, I kind of California dude. Maybe even know, if it's I'm an acting and position kind of thing, he probably had to do, even if it's for a little block or not even a full block. But uh, well, I'm, I'm rifling through, as you said it, and I was like, oh, shit, I was supposed to prepare this. And then I'm rifling through my mind about, like, what things can I not be sued for, you know, and say <laughs> out loud and then came up empty. So that's on me. Yeah. So. No, you're good. You're good. All right. Good. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, I think that firefighter is. Uh, did you have someone in your life that was a firefighter that you were also like looking? You know, no, I don't I don't know what it is. No, I just it just huh. um, I just really I just thought it was maybe I read a story or something. And then, you know, if it wasn't already ingrained, I was living in, I was in New York on nine 11. I was actually supposed to catch a flight to LA that morning. Um, yeah, I know. I was on my way to the airport when it all went down and, um, and I lived in hell's kitchen and one of the hell's kitchen departments was one of the ones that like lost everybody. And I just, I don't know. Those guys, I just that really cemented it for me, you know, and so it's it's been a lifelong thing. And I think I just I think I just respond. I mean, I feel this way. I feel this way about people who do service, people who go into service for others. I feel this way about military vets. I feel this way about anyone who gives of themselves. And look, I'm not saying that everybody's a fucking saint, right? There, I've met some douchebag firefighters. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I think conceptually, yes. the, the, the act of it writ large is just an act of selfless generosity. And my, um, my sister's husband, um, who you and I were talking before we started recording, who is he's, he's an FBI agent. And before that, he was in the Air Force. His father was the fire marshal of the town that they grew up in. And so that's a family who's just steeped in the idea of giving to, you know, to serve and to whatever. And I, and just reinforced over the years, my, my belief about the, the integrity of doing something like that. And I just really, just really admire it. I think that as a, as a kid too, I thought, you know, I want to do something that's of service. And interestingly, as much as I do what I do because I'm an attention whore and I need and I have a big ego and all that shit and it's all true, there is a part of me that is like, this is the way that I can serve. This is the way that I can, you know, create something for people that gives them something that they it's like that line in Dead Poet Society, which shows my age, but there's a line in the nineteen eighty nine film Dead Poet Society that Robin Williams has where he's like, you know, uh, lawyers, doctors, etc. These are all noble professions and necessary to sustain life. But art, poetry, love, these are the things we stay alive for. And so, you know, for me, I just sort of pivoted my, um, okay, I'm not going to save lives, 
but as long as people are still here, how can I give them the best experience of being on the on the planet as I can? Um, and that was, you know, sort of where. So that's that's kind of like how all of my interests dovetail. Although shit, still I still every day think like, I don't know, like I if I see a movie about lawyers, I'm like maybe I should go to law school. Like I still like I definitely. <laughs> Me doing all these things is like you. It's like I, I can't get my toe into it because if I do, then the next mm-hmm. thing you know, I'm, I'm you're gonna... a learner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I think yeah. also, I mean, you were talking about like it may not save lives, but I've known a lot of folks that have been in bad spots, um, taking care of their loved ones in the hospital that were dying and or taking care of a child, hoping that they may get out of the cancer treatments. Um, being in, you know, looking for work and being unemployed and just trying to figure out what's the next step and reading these books and being part of this community has helped them keep their sanity um, mm-hmm. and be able to provide them with that bit of hope or that escapism in, to just be able to just be. So it's, it's important. I think it's a good kind of work to be doing and knowing that there are people out there that really reading these stories have helped them just be say you know moving forward is is truly a gift that we can yeah. provide yeah yeah it means a lot yeah i know it's a noble noble profession firefighters i remember thinking how awesome they were you know career day at in elementary school with the big flashy you know trucks and the lights and the, the heavy equipment but like yeah. you, you all are purposely running into the fire <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, I, if I if I start going on about it, I start to get a little weepy. But yeah, that's exactly right. So it's just one of those. I'm like, I admire them. Same thing with police officers and teachers and things like that. So anytime that I can help, or when the stories are about them and second chances or finding their love, and I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming up next for you in any of your major hats that you wear? <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, um, like I say, we got the two books coming out. I'm on writer's. I was actually in the middle of some screenplay stuff, but I'm on a writer's strike, so I don't have a clear answer now for when that will end and those things will move forward. But I, I think I've had a weirdly busy year narrating. So I've got, if you go to Audible and just type my name in and spell it the weird way I spell it, J O H N A T H A N M C C L A I N, because if you leave out that first H. You'll never find me. Um, but if you go to Audible and type it in, you can see that I think I've got like 10 books coming out in the next two, three months. And then I've still got like five more to narrate in the next couple of months. So it's going to be a big year for audiobooks for me. Um, so I've got that happening. If this strike ends with any kind of reasonable time frame, um, I can't talk about it specifically because whatever, but there's a Netflix thing um, that I'm working on, maybe writing. Got that. And then just a bunch of stuff cooking behind the scenes. I've got this short film that I wrote that I'm going to finish editing and try and do the festival submission thing with and probably put it up online. So, you know, if you follow me on any of my platforms, you'll be able to see. It's called Pirouette. It's a two-hander. The younger actress is an up-and-coming actress called Emma Maltby, who's just came back from Atlanta doing a big Netflix film, and she's going to be a thing. But um, the other sort of star is my old friend Bellamy Young, who played uh, Melly on Scandal, uh, played the president, and um, is just one of the best people and best actors I know. It's just a two little 17-minute two character piece that I'm really proud of. And so, you know, if you, like I say, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I'm out there, find me, and you'll be able to know about that. What else do I have going on? 
uh, we're going to go, I'm going to go to Paris for a little while towards the end of the year, which has, which isn't anything you can watch, but if you're in Paris, I'll be <laughs> there and feel free and we'll go get a scone together or something. Um, yeah. I mean, just, you know, I, I, I make plans and then I just try and take one step after the next and see where the day takes me. So that's kind of <laughs> where we are right now. Perfect. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff coming up. I'm looking here on audible and excited about some of these titles. I'm like, yay. I'm like, Ooh, didn't think about wanting that one, but maybe I'll check it out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, it's, you know, it's a wide, it's a, it's an array. It's an array of different, different genres, but, um, but thus far I've not had a, a clunker in the bunch. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic Good. about all of them doing well. There Perfect. you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being part of this year's audiobook loving series. It's been fun. You're uh, amazingly good at this, Viviana. <laughs> I've done a bunch of these things. You are. I just looked at the clock and I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to yeah. go. I've got like a meeting. <laughs> like, you're very good at this job. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, thanks for hanging out with us today. And we hope you've enjoyed this chat as well as the series. I'll make sure to include all of his social media information so you can follow him if you have not as of yet and you can find that information over at the landing page of the audiobook loving series at viviana enchantress the books and until next time happy listening a special thank you to authors dj krimmer tana stone landon beach pj fiala and all of our sponsors of the audiobook loving 2023 series Visit today's episode post to listen to sound clips of some of the books we discussed and enter the month-long giveaway. If you enjoyed the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast series and you want more, join the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast Patreon for early access to podcasts, exclusive content like the Would You Rather game and dinner party guests, and additional incentives such as bloopers, graphics, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobooklovin'. Thank you for joining Viviana and her guests for this podcast, and we hope you tune in again as we continue to celebrate Audiobook Month. The Audiobook Lovin' series is hosted by Viviana, the Enchantress of Books. Please make sure to visit the main page linked within the post to learn more about the entire Audiobook Lovin' series and the enchanting author and narrator guests who have joined us over the years. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you listened. And please follow us on social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana the Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you have enjoyed this program.